0: Hello everyone, and welcome to this special edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and featured on the pod this week are Rob Daracott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, Helena Beer, editor of Training Matters, and Neil Trainus, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Now, there's something of an end-of-term feel to this episode. We've been allowed to take ball games into the office, and the summer holidays are around the corner. And... To be honest, we had a leaving do last night for our good friend and colleague Loza, whose voice you hear at the beginning of the pod. So we thought we'd do something different this week and put together a compilation of some of the best bits from this year's podcasts based on your reactions and comments on social media. As regular listeners to the pod will know, we have a Good Week, Bad Week feature. So let's start by taking you back to June the 24th and Arthur's take on a highly controversial political blog that got everyone rather worked up.
1: Oh, well, my bad week, without a doubt, goes to the right-wing news blog. I guess you would call it Guido Fawkes, who last Friday ran a story on... um... Labour MP Taiwo Owatemi she's the MP for Coventry Northwest she's a pharmacist a working pharmacist which it becomes in interesting as 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 I'll explain she's a working pharmacist and she sits on the APPG for pharmacy now Guido ran a story with the headline um Oh, let me get it in front of me. Uh, they they said she would actively admitted to actively selling drugs. Labour MP admits to selling drugs, and they ran it with this imagery based on uh baking uh, Breaking Bad, which pro- probably a lot of our our listeners will know is is a very popular Netflix program where the main character sells crystal meth. So um yeah it was it was, I in their ter- in their words it was a ton in cheek sort of way to uh way to refer to what quote from them the unusual situation of a serving mp working as a part-time pharmacist but a lot of people found it very um insulting um there were accusations of sort of dog whistle racism um to me just a completely daft unnecessary silly decision um from i mean i know they they go for these sort of provocative stories and headlines but I think even uh, like the comments that I saw on Twitter and there was a huge response on Twitter. Uh, I think there was like in the region of 400, 500 quote, t- quote tweets, all of them negative or the vast majority negative. And I, but I saw in the comments beneath the article, even people who seemed to be sort of fans of Guido saying they'd got, they'd gone too far this time. Um, I asked them, you know, you know, to, did, did they recognize the accusations of, of, of dog whistle racism or just the, whether it was an appropriate story to run. And, um, their quote was, uh, Whingers on Twitter should get a life. Um, as I say, it was a refer- humorous reference to the unusual situation of a serving MP working as a part-time pharmacist. Anyone with an IQ above a cabbage would understand that. So no no backing down from them, but there was a lot of support for um, for Taiwo Otemi from um, GPHC, from the PDA and the, the RPS, also from uh, Conservative MP Jackie Dodd-Price who chairs the Pharmacy APPG. She said um uh, that, that Ms. Owatemi deserves the same respect as the as any MP who serves as a doctor and nurse during the pandemic. She saluted uh Oatemi as a great ambassador for pharmacy. So um hopefully that's the the kind of the upshot from from a very sort of nasty, unsavoury piece is that it actually serves to um highlight the work that, that, that Taiwa Ootemi has done. <laughs>
0: So next we come to the segment which became known as my M1 rant. This stemmed from my long journey home from a holiday in beautiful Northumbria. And all that time on the motorway got me thinking about the state of pharmacy and gradually getting more and more grumpy as the miles clocked up. Now, I like Rob mentioned last week on the pod, I was away on holiday in Northumberland having my eyes tested. Um... Lovely part of the world. I really enjoyed listening to the pod. By the way, on the long, the long drive back, uh, all that time on the M1 does get you thinking. And there's nothing like some time out of the pharmacy bubble, is there, to get some perspective and clarity uh, on the big issues of the of the day. Two things struck me listening to you guys on the pod. Um, the first one is why is it that pharmacy organisations get so giddy with excitement to have government ministers address their events and conferences? when they, they never say anything of significance or substance for grassroots pharmacists, um, other than sound bites, in case their constituents are listening or warm words or meaningless platitudes. Now, Matt Hancock's performance at the Sigma webinar while I was away, and of course the now disgraced ex-Secretary of State, of course, uh, was a case in point. But it could have been anyone from the ministerial health team or any Secretary of State for the last 10 or 20 years at a pharmacy event and it just struck me that having these politicians at your events effectively saying nothing as you pointed out Neil and then basking in the reflected glory of having them there is just not enough anymore. Now did someone actually say last week that Hancock was a, a friend of pharmacy at the Sigma event? A friend of pharmacy? Really is that what Sigma customers or NPA members really think? I mean, when I did manage to catch up with that webinar, so much soft soap was thrown at Hancock at that event. I mean, oh, soft soap, probably not the <laughs> probably not the best phrase to use. I don't want to give that hypocritical sleazebag any ideas. Um, but anyway, it was all faintly nauseating. And it, why not? And surely it would be better to get someone with something interesting or relevant to say at these events from I don't know. The top of my head, the NHS Confederation, or, or local government association, or a director of public health, uh, or a senior executive of one of the nascent integrated care systems, or or one of the more progressive LPC chief officers—I don't know—someone who can add real value and provide information and guidance that will help a pharmacist in their business or practice, and I mean really help. Stop toadying to government ministers; it's a waste of time. Grow a pair, friend of pharmacy indeed. And the other thing was, and I was probably but past Chesterfield at this point, um, well, was it me or was the profession's response to that awful Guido Forks blog about Labour MP and pharmacist Teo Owatemi completely over the top? I mean, yes, the comments were unpleasant and disrespectful and not remotely funny, rather pathetic and lame, to be honest. And the last thing you want to do is to trigger abusive trolling. but. It, It was almost as if the various pharmacy bodies were were, were competing with themselves over who could be the most outraged. You don't see the doctor bodies doing that. Miss Owatemi had the best response, which was to say nothing at all. Didn't dignify the blog with the response. It said a lot to me about pharmacy's lack of confidence in itself and its place in the world. profession that's too sensitive and easily bruised to have got so worked up over something like that. Treat it with the contempt it deserves. Turn the other cheek. Uh, and move on and i and i i had a third burst of uh laser light clarity but i've i've forgotten i've forgotten what that was so um it's probably i better stop ranting right now now, everyone knows that Rob has some strong views on leadership and representation in pharmacy and has years of hard-earned experience in this area at a senior level. So when the discussion in July turned to why pharmacy always fails to get its message across by never speaking with one voice, it was a case of like the blue touch paper and stand well back as Rob lifted the lid on the demise of pharmacy voice.
2: So... Where to start? Um, I mean, as you point out, I should perhaps declare something of an interest, and I guess there may be one or two people listening to the podcast who will not know much about the last time the One Voice approach was properly tested. So if there are one or two people out there who don't know, Pharmacy Voice, as it was called, existed from December 2010 to April 2017 as a collaboration covering broadly policy and public affairs. The collaboration between the National Pharmacy Association, the Company Chemist Association, and the Association of Independent Multiple Pharmacies. Um, the lessons I take from its demise, uh, to be honest, is that you'd be better off trying to agree a broad strategy. Uh, my, wouldn't that be nice? Um, and put your energy into keeping the various national interest groups on side with that, than try to force people to work together. Um I mean, my experience over that six and a bit years is that from the very start, Pharmacy Voice was briefed against by external parties and by some people in those constituent organisations who never wanted to collaborate in the first place. Um, and its work over time was, was at points undermined by those same individuals and groups. Um, and even when organisations worked together on things, there always seemed to be someone who didn't like the outcome and then tried to delay next steps or even stop things completely. And I mean, I think I don't think things have improved, but unfortunately, the lack of governance within some organisations means that boards don't seem to believe in taking collective responsibility for decisions and agreements willingly entered into. There's a interesting thing uh, currently, given what um, Lord Frost has been saying over the last couple of days, and um, just as a case in point, pharmacy people probably forgot, even people who know about Pharmacy Voice have probably forgotten this, but Pharmacy Voice's first chair, a former chair, and at the time, a board member of the NPA, not only stood down, but he left pharmacy representation altogether as a result of his experience. And at the time, I wasn't surprised. Personally, I'm very proud of the work that we did, uh, working together. We assembled, without doubt, the the very best team I've ever worked with. Now, the CIG team is pretty good, uh, but the pharmacy voice team were all experts in their fields, whether that's policy, public affairs, organisational management, comms. Very few of them were pharmacists. That was a good thing. Our last chair was fabulous, and we had a remarkably united board. Given everything I've just said, a remarkably united board who provided coherent leadership. We, the team, were all conscious of our role in the story. As officers in a trade body, you are there, as the guy who wrote the book on trade association management, Mark Bolliott, would say, to represent the interests of members. I'm not making that book up. It's sitting on my shelf here today. I read it, but I doubt many of my opposite numbers ever did. Mark's statement is bang on. But I've given you only the first bit so far. The full thing went something like this. The role of a trade association is to represent its members' interests but not necessarily their views, because on occasion their views will make us a laughing stock. And the role of those working in a trade body is to work as hard as we can to ensure that their interests and their views coincide. Now we don't have time to go into all of that now, but at some point it might be worth unpacking that statement because it says a lot about both leadership and the value of expertise. We supported the development of some of the most important work streams community pharmacies had in years, some still exist, the community pharmacy safety group, the cross sector IT group, the stories I can tell you about why and how those groups came about that in themselves would tell you how difficult it can be when individuals want to do something different or when members' views differ from their interests. But I'll save them for the tell-all book I might or might not be working on. We ran an award-winning campaign, Treat Yourself Better, with an organisation in a completely different sector that was ultimately adopted and developed further by the NHS, We ran a modest marketing campaign called Dispensing Health that shifted the needle of public opinion for a while and which landed us the perfect quad-factor, that is a word, of major story, leader, lead letter to the editor and even the front-page cartoon in The Times on, if I remember correctly, the 15th of January 2014. We also developed a strategy for the sector in the Community Pharmacy Forward View, working with PSNC and the RPS that was welcomed by NHS England, although submission into government caused an almighty row by some last minute toys out of the pram throwing, and some of the work was never published as it was originally intended. And we also built up a dialogue with key officials, the way stuff like that gets done in the real world, which some people simply don't understand. Doing those things and doing them properly is still possible, but trying to shoehorn them into a single body is a massive ask. The petty politics and sniping that exists between organizations working in broadly the same space, and happens in all professions and trades from time to time, means you can spend an awful lot of time trying to make something work. It's probably better spending time agreeing the outcomes you all want, who is best to do, which element needed to be successful, and working hard to deliver on all that together. I'll finish by just saying my dear old chum, Colin Baldwin, who ran both the CCA and AIM at different times, as well as enjoying a good lunch, used to use this particular analogy of the the different voices in a choir adding richness richness to a single tune. I could say more, but I think I've said enough. Now, a change of mood.
0: As editor of our title for pharmacy support staff, Training Matters, Helena is a passionate champion for pharmacy technicians and pharmacy assistants and grabs every opportunity to highlight the tremendous work done by these valuable members of the pharmacy family. As we hear in this next extract back in March about an exceptional pharmacy technician-led COVID vaccination clinic, despite the person in question being afraid of needles.
3: My Good Week is for Paula Woodgate. Uh, She's a good friend of TM, having won the overall Spotlight Award at our ROE Awards in 2019. Um, And she's involved in setting up a COVID vaccination centre for Knight's Oakwood Pharmacy near Leeds. It's one of three nights pharmacies that are approved to offer COVID vaccinations so far. Um, So Paula is an accuracy checking technician and she was trained under the national protocol to prepare and administer COVID vaccinations. Um, She's an incredible member of the pharmacy team and has achieved so much over the years, got many strings to her bow. Um, But the COVID vaccination center involvement is a particularly noteworthy achievement um, because it's the first time She's been able to be involved in this kind of clinical service as an ACT um, and she's really embraced it. But also, she's absolutely terrified of needles. So um, there's an extra challenge there. Um, So, yeah, she's been trained. She's been vaccinating for quite a few weeks now um, since the last week of January, I think it was. Um, They're vaccinating Wednesday to Saturday and averaging about a thousand vaccinations uh, per week at this particular pharmacy. Um, And they're making a real difference to the vaccination efforts in their community. And she commented that so many of their patients are unbelievably grateful and happy that they don't have to navigate a mass vaccination centre to get their jabs. They just pop down to their local pharmacy. Um, And I know this is just one example. And it's so good to see members of the wider pharmacy team utilising their skills and playing their part in this. Um, And I think with pharmacy technicians in particular, it's the first time that they've been able to be a part of something like this. There's been so much talk for so long about pharmacy technicians potentially being involved in the flu vaccination service, but that's never come to anything other than a few pilots here and there. Um, And I had a long chat with Paula last week about her thoughts on this. um, And her comment was that she hopes that the COVID vaccinations sets a precedent for the future. She hopes that pharmacy technicians can be more involved in things like flu vaccinations going forwards with proper PGDs in place that that include them. Um, Pharmacy technicians clearly have the ability. Uh, Obviously, not all pharmacy technicians and not all will want to be involved either. But a good proportion do have the skills and the desire to get involved. And I completely agree with Paula that it'd be such a shame to waste that.
0: And finally, who else but Neil to have the last word? Now, on social media, our Neil has the uh, unfair reputation of being the Jonah of the group. And while statistically he does have the highest number of bad week nominations, he's not averse to handing out the good weeks either. It's just that we can't remember them. Now that one of his favourite targets, Matt's hands, face, arse, Hancock, is no longer on the scene due to his office shenanigans, in June... Neil turned his attention to the RPS and its declining membership numbers.
4: It's been a pretty bad week for the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. Um, this is based on uh, National, Board, National Pharmacy Board election data, which uh, appears to show a decline of almost 10% in the RPS's membership in the last two years, from 2019 to 2021. Um, now, the, the election, uh, this year's election... According to the data, saw twenty-two thousand six hundred and seventy-nine ballots issued, uh, and that's down on the twenty-five thousand one hundred and seventeen ballots that were issued in the last election in twenty nineteen. So that's some two thousand four hundred and thirty-eight uh, fewer ballots. Um, now, given ballots are sent to RPS members, uh, it seems to suggest, strongly suggest, a drop, quite a quite a a, a big drop in membership numbers. Um, the problem here, it's been the problem for quite some time with the RPS, is they consistently refuse. To disclose the size of their membership, um, this is something that uh, Michael Maguire, who, who was of course elected to the English Pharmacy Board uh, this month, um, congratulations to him. Um, he picked up on on Twitter, and when he said, you know, if people, um, if if people look at the membership numbers, uh, if if they had that data, that's fine. But they, because they don't, it's not really a problem in any case. You know, you, you, it's not that difficult to actually work out what the, what the membership numbers are. So what's the point? Of keeping it a secret, doesn't doesn't seem any logic to to the RPS's um, approach? I'm sure the RPS will probably come back and, and cite commercial sensitivities, but you can work it out. Um, but it's also been a bad week for the RPS, uh, not only because of the falling numbers, but because everything else that comes with that, you know, the lack of transparency, uh, because of the, the, the turnout and the turnout. The turnout was up. We have to say it, the turnout, the turnout, the turnout was 13.1 percent up on the 11.47 percent in 2019. The RPS latch onto that and say that yeah, that's a good thing, but it's still not not great cause for celebration. Let's face it. You know, I, I don't particularly think thirteen point one percent turnout is a particularly good turnout for for an election. Um, and of course, um, this year's elections, as this as this year's elections unfolded, other issues cropped up. The same old issues, but they crop up again. Like why are the three national pharmacy boards and assembly meet so infrequently? That's three times a year, and why elections to the assembly are held in the open business of the boards, but voting to the assembly remains. A secret ballot, um, and I don't know if some of our readers may have read Mohammed Hussein, who wrote a rather thought-provoking article for us uh, this week, in which he said that secret voting can lead to highly unusual voting behaviours. So this should be transparency. So this—it's not only the fact that their membership appears to be down. The fact that these, as these as these elections unfolded, it just brought back all these other issues that had attached themselves to this, and and. These are questions that aren't. some of them remain unanswered. So it's not been a great week for the World Pharmaceutical Society. So that
0: brings us to the end of this special edition of the pod. We hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we'll feature a selection of some of our favourite interviews from the year so far. But for now, from me, Rob, Helena, Arthur and Neil, thanks very much for listening.